Welcome back to Over Here. My name is Nick Finzer, and today we're returning to our Is Jazz Education Worth It series? Is Music School Worth It series? Uh, this time talking with tenor saxophonist Lucas Pino, who has an album coming out on Outside of Music this month, September the 29th, the latest album. The answer is no from his No Net Na Net. Uh, is coming out. It features a bunch of new compositions by Lucas, uh, and it's the first of a series of three records that'll be coming out over the next few years. So without further ado, I'd like to let you get to know Lucas and let you get to know uh, his thoughts and views. And on music education, he's a very thoughtful and thorough guy and has a kind of a unique take and a unique pathway to his life in jazz so if you want to find out more about lucas go ahead and go to lucaspino.com and uh, enjoy this conversation my name is lucas pino i'm a jazz musician living in new york city i'm a band leader composer and uh i attended three uh separate universities um uh I started my college experience at the Brubeck Institute in Stockton, California, which is um, a small uh, program for five or six uh, students who uh, rehearse as a band, as a quintet or a sextet. It's a full-ride scholarship program that was started by Dave and Iola Brubeck. Um, it has a very limited uh, in-house faculty, or at least it did at the time for me, and, and uh many, many uh, visiting guest artists in a very specialized curriculum. Uh, and from there, uh, at the time, it wasn't a degree-granting program, so from there I transferred to the new school in New York City, and I finished my undergraduate program there. Um, and then after, directly after that, I uh, did a master's degree at the, the Juilliard School. So that's my educational background. And how did you, how did you get into... Uh playing jazz in the first place? Uh, when I was 10 years old, there was uh, an opportunity for students to choose whether or not they wanted to participate in band class or have study hall. And uh, that was a no-brainer for me. I just, I, I had always loved music and I wanted to, to play an instrument. So I chose the band classes. Study hall sounded extremely boring in comparison. So you always played jazz right from the beginning, or you eventually came to yeah, Well, yeah, okay. So, yeah, that, that, that story is kind of funny. And it, um, I, they, they had, like, an introductory class, like, uh, uh, so that the, the teacher at my elementary school, who's, who's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say kind of, she's, like, famous in, in Phoenix, Arizona now for how many wonderful students and, and professional players she's produced. Um, from the grade school level uh, up uh, is Jill Mahoney. And so uh, at Marshall Ranch Elementary School is the school I went to, and we had an introductory class where you get to try out all the instruments and see what they're about and um, what they sound like. And uh, that was like the first day of band class. And then you would you would pick an instrument, you would sign out a permission slip, so take it home to your parents, and they would sign it, and you would you would come back. The next day, it would have to. You would have to determine: Are you going to borrow an instrument from the school? Do you have your own instrument? Um, all those types of details. So I, so I, I thought the saxophone was awesome and the coolest looking instrument. And um, when I went home, 
I because I thought that this action was so cool, I actually didn't pick it. I thought everybody was going to pick the saxophone because I thought it was that much cooler than all the other instruments. And so I had written trumpet down on my permission slip, and I sat down at the dinner table with my dad, and uh, I had trumpet written on this permission slip, and and he said, oh, you want to play the trumpet? That's cool, you know, and I said, yeah. And he's like, um, that, that, uh, that's the instrument that you want to play? And I said, well, not really. I actually want to play the saxophone, but I think everybody's going to want to play the saxophone, so I'm, picking, I'm going to try to be different. And that's what he said to me. He's like, well, if you think the saxophone is the coolest, you should probably uh, play the saxophone. <laughs> so thank God he kind of directed me towards what I, what I wanted to do and, and encouraged me in that way. And then he said, you know, so uh, are you going to be able to get an instrument from the school? And I said, sure. I'm sure they'll have uh, an instrument for me to borrow. Um, the next day I, I turned in my permission slip. Um, and I don't think it was, it was, I had band class that day, so I didn't even have an opportunity to get a loaner instrument from the school. I came home from school the next day, and my dad had bought me a saxophone. He straight up bought me a saxophone. So for at, at that time, we were not a well-to-do family. I think my mom was uh, finishing her degree in college, and my my dad was uh, you know working full time, trying to support all of us. And uh, that was like a I think a pretty huge expense. And I still don't understand why he did it uh, at the time, but it, it made a huge impression on me. I came home, and there was the saxophone. And he had all these records. And I think there were probably 10 records stacked on top of the saxophone, um, jazz records. And, and when I came home, I was super ecstatic. And he brought me into his office. And he said um, uh, he had a whiteboard in his office. And he had a, a huge CD collection. And he said, you know, I love jazz. And, and here are some of my favorite saxophones. Since you're going to play the saxophone, here are some of my favorite saxophones. And he wrote down. Uh, number one, John Coltrane. Number two, Cannonball Adderley. Number three, Paul Desmond. Number four, Stan Getz. And he said, all of these records I have, you know, you can listen to them anytime you want to. And uh, before I even knew how to play the saxophone, I was, I, I had put on, I remember John Coltrane, but he, uh, um, this John Coltrane Quartet it was one of those great prestige records of PC and Red Garland and Arthur Taylor. And uh, I was trying to play along with that record before I even knew where to put my hands on the saxophone. So it's always been a marriage for me, the jazz and saxophone and music. That was the beginning for me. Wow. Yeah, that uh, that actually that explains a lot. Uh, I'm surprised I've never heard that story before. That explains, <laughs> a, explains a lot of things. All of a sudden, you know, everything was kind of able to focus. Uh Sorry. It's no, it's a big secret. That's a big <laughs> secret. So, so when you were, you know, in high school and kind of trying to make the decision about, you know, studying or not, I imagine you probably had some kind of a, maybe a unique perspective since you were kind of just kind of drawn into the music so naturally. What were what was happening when you were deciding whether to study or go to college or in that period? When I okay, so that's when that all happened. I was ten years old. When uh, the summer of my, I think the summer of my fifth grade year, I think, um, or sixth grade year. Um, well, first it was in sixth grade. I um, auditioned for the jazz band. I wanted to be part of the jazz band. I felt entitled to be part of the jazz band because I love jazz and I listen to jazz records every day. It was a big part of my life. By that by that time, I identified with it. It was part of my identity, and I didn't get in. 
I didn't get in. You know, there, I was competing with uh, uh, seventh and eighth graders, but uh, the, the person who actually got in is there, it's actually still a good friend of mine um, and a great saxophonist, uh, Gregory Lauer. He got in first semester. He was he he was my same age, sixth grade, and um, I was pretty forlorn at that and uh, and jealous, you know. And I, I went home to my parents and I remember saying to my parents, you know, I didn't get into the jazz band. Greg got in, and it's not fair. Greg's dad knows music. He he you know he studied uh, clarinet and saxophone, and he he's been helping him. And it's not fair. I need lessons. I went home when I was 11 years old to my parents and said, I need to get lessons. So I can compete. And so I ended up starting to study uh, saxophone privately with um, a college student uh, named Romy Guzman at the time. And um, I, I remember, yeah, so then, then I, I, I started to get better and I started to practice a lot then. And uh, I wasn't a great student. I've never been a great student. But uh, in the second semester, they had auditions again, and I got in. I beat Greg out in that second semester. And... Um, after that, I went to a summer camp uh, in sixth grade, so, so, summer of sixth grade. And I, I remember during that summer camp, I made up my mind. I said, okay, I'm going to be a professional musician. <laughs> wow. And I told my dad, I remember coming home, you know, one day and telling my dad, okay, I think I made up my mind. I'm going to become a professional musician. And I, I'm sure he was horrified at the time. You know, that's a little 11-year-old kid saying something like that. I'm sure he was like, what have I done? But, uh, yeah, that was when I made the decision. And pretty much every um, decision that I made following that was, how can I best uh, serve my interest to be a professional musician? So even I went to a high school that I that uh, people told me was the best high school for music uh, in Phoenix uh, with, with uh, this great – educator and uh, band leader, uh, uh, Bud Hilditch. And while I was there, I, I, I would tell myself, okay, so maybe I can, I can become a band director and play music, and that would be great. Um, by the time I was playing, maybe by the time I was 15, I was playing professional gigs. I had, uh, you know, met a lot of the great jazz musicians in the Valley, and they had taken me under their wing. So I, my mom was driving me to gigs when I was 15 with uh, – well, these cats, you know, a great mentor in the Valley, Charles Lewis, um, Don Moyo, Dwight Killian, you know, I, just just the, the scene really took me under their wing. And so by that point, then I started to get some real encouragement, real direction. I was studying with a, a wonderful professional saxophonist in the Valley, Tony Baca. Um, so I, I had begun to take it very seriously. And it wasn't really until um, – the summer of my junior year in high school that I uh, thought, man, I can really do this at a level that is larger than, than my home scene. Like I can, I can, I can get, you know what I mean? Like I, for, for that whole time I thought like, okay, like I, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll go to the community college down the road and I'll, I'll become a band director. I, I was being very conservative in what my goals were at that time. And then the summer of my um, junior year, I was accepted into the Brubeck Institute Summer Jazz Colony, which was a which is a uh, summer camp for um, seventeen, I think, it's seventeen full ride uh, students for ten days, and you go and they break you up into bands, and and you you work with all kinds of guys. My year, I had 
Nicholas Payton and Jerry Berganzi, among many other great musicians. And uh, I even even going into that situation, I thought oh, I'll be in the I'll probably be in the lowest band or something like that. But I got into the top band um, with Eldar Jangaroff and Kyla Fade. Uh, Dustin Kaufman, Earl, Burnus, Travis. Um, yeah, it, yeah. So like a great band, and I thought, damn, like I actually I can be competitive on a on a national level. I can be competitive on a national level, and that's when I I started to think like, okay, maybe I can I can go to New York. Maybe I can go study um, music at a college in New York or or something like that. And so. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, as as anybody who has gotten to this level, it's like there are there's a huge amount of hands on and around your life pushing you towards different things and people who are kind of helping you adjust your goals. And so I would never have gone to the Brubeck Summer Jazz Colony if I if I didn't join uh, the Young Sounds of Arizona and subsequently meet um, Hugh Lovelady and uh, who directed that ensemble at the time, and then and then Chris Brubeck. And, and Barb Catlin. So Chris Brubeck was the one who told me about the Brubeck Institute. And then, you know, he's the one who encouraged me to, to audition for the Summer Jazz Colony. Getting into the Summer Jazz Colony allowed me to readjust my sights and say, maybe I could be part of the summer, uh, the fellowship program. Maybe I can go to New York. So on and on and on, people kind of help uh, guide you and, 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 and point you in, in the direction and encourage you and make you reach beyond uh, your grasp is, you know, at least that's what they did with me. And I, Obviously, it's, I, I, I still feel like people have their hands on my life in, in a large way. So, and I'm just very grateful, you know. Yeah, no, totally. So, when you were, you know, you so you did the summer colony and then got your eyes on going to the institute. Like, so in your like senior year, were there other considerations? Was it like the Rubeck Institute or a number of other schools? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I auditioned at Juilliard. I auditioned at Manhattan School of Music. I auditioned at New England Conservatory. I auditioned at the New School. I sent a tape to William Patterson. I got into all those schools except Juilliard. I didn't get into Juilliard. I got waitlisted on Juilliard. Um, and I I remember I didn't do very well during my audition. And Joe Temperley was on my audition for both Juilliard and Manhattan School of Music. And I had Juilliard one day, and the next day I had Manhattan School of Music. And he called me uh, after my audition at Manhattan. He said, boy, you really sucked on your Juilliard audition or something like that, you know. And <laughs> you played so good on your Manhattan school audition. I think they're going to give you a full ride, you know. And he's like, I want to I introduce you to Linton. He said all these, these great things, and I was, like, so taken back, but very nervous. And uh, he's like, just keep in touch. And we talked a little bit over the, the coming months, and it was a huge disappointment to me when – I got my award letter from Manhattan School of Music, and they gave me, like, half scholarship. I was actually so embarrassed. I never called Joe again. I didn't want to call him and be like, what the hell? <laughs> yes, right. And, um, and by the time I got that award letter, I had been accepted to the Brubeck Fellowship Program, and that was a full-ride program, and it was very prestigious. So I just said, screw it. I'm going to go to – the Brubeck Institute, you know, and, and the other schools gave me decent, decent bread too. I, I you know, I, I really wanted to study with uh, Jerry Berganti at New England Conservatory, but they were notorious for not giving out great scholarships. I think I got like a third or half scholarship there. William Patterson, same story. I think I got a full red William Patterson, but um, 
the Brubeck Institute ended up winning out. So. Gotcha. So, so I mean, not only the prestige of the program, but like money had a big consideration for you. Yeah, at that time, I had from from so from the time I was 11, I was saying to myself, like, I'm going to become a professional musician. And every professional musician that I had met said, well, it's, it's a hard life. You know, you don't make a lot of money. And uh, so I just had it in my head, like, financially, you have to be conservative as a musician. You can't just go getting into a bunch of debt. You can't spend all your money on uh, you know, what my dad would call pitos y flautos or, like, uh, you know, noisemakers and flutes. Um which is funny. Yeah, it's kind of a funny thing now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I do spend my money on is noisemakers and kids. But, um, <laughs> you know, so I just had it in my head, like, no matter what, I'm going to just, my education, uh, I'm going to try to make it uh, as cost, cost less as possible. And so, I, yeah, I went to the Brubeck Institute on that full ride. And then after I got done there, I said to myself, well, I, I haven't incurred any debt so far, let me see how far I can take this. And when I went to the new school, they gave me a full ride scholarship, and I, you know, my my parents paid for my room and board, which was huge. And um, and and then I remember when I got into Juilliard, Juilliard wanted me to pay like a thousand dollars a semester or something, like something insanely cheap for what the tuition is. And uh, my dad was like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, he's like, are you sure we can afford this? And I was like, yeah, I want to go. You know, it's like, Julia, I didn't get in the first time. And, um, you know, after a little bit of pushing, he was like, yeah, that's a good idea. And I ended up doing that. But I, I came out of six years of college with no debt and no financial obligation. So I think that that really allowed me like, an incredible opportunity to you know, then you can take like all kinds of absurdly low-paying gigs, you know, without feeling like you're wasting time because you owe somebody money, or you know, you can't really pay rent, or you know, I, I felt like um, I came out of my college experience um, in a, in, a, in an amazing position that a lot of people don't, you know, uh, have, and I think it's really allowed me a ton of flexibility when it comes to trying to build a career in New York City where. You know, it's just so cutthroat and um, competitive. You know, it's like, yeah. Anyway. No, no. I, I mean, I hear you. Um, that's very inter- that's interesting. I didn't realize. Uh, I guess I sort of probably knew that you didn't get in the first time. Did you learn? Cause I, I mean, I didn't either. And I was just yeah. like, I'm gonna get in there. Right. Right. Just as a you know personal vendetta. So yeah. It's- I think that that's part of our personality, right? It's like uh, you, there has to be an element of like perseverance. Like you have to, every failure is is a challenge almost. Like every failure I've experienced, whether it's not getting into the jazz band when I'm in sixth grade or not getting into Juilliard when I'm 18, it's like it's actually taken as a challenge, not a not a not a a result. It's not like a failure on a test or something like that. It's just like it's a challenge to me. Like you're not good enough right now. Go make yourself better. And that's, that's been a guiding principle in my life. You know, I'm extremely grateful to music and jazz because it has taught me that anytime I experience failure, all it means is that I have to go and better myself to, to be better so I don't yeah. experience that failure again. So, yeah, I'm very grateful to the to the process. So I think maybe you, can't, you pretty much already answered this, but so when students, I know you interact with students pretty regularly when they – 
ask you what they should do for their studies. You know, what what additional advice do you give them, or do you just tell them to go to the cheapest place? Um, well, I don't tell them to go to the cheapest place, but I do tell them that uh, debt can be a huge. Um, what do you, you would call it like a limiting limiting factor? That that can be a huge limiting factor um, if to, if you're trying to become an artist. And um, so what I what I I don't know you know I, what I have told cats is they have to weigh the um, the cost and the benefit. And that and that honestly like going to a certain school it doesn't do anything on its own. You know we we you and I both have known so many great talented musicians going to the best school who completely get burned by the experience or completely burn up in the, in the experience, in the orbit or whatever, and don't even play music. You know, they end up becoming, you know, just completely ejected from, from the musical orbit. And uh, so I, I just try to tell cats that they, I think what is important is to hang on to your muse. The thing that made you fall in love with music Try not to be become jaded. Try not to get into debt, and always be pursuing things that are are helping you gain momentum, not slowing you down. You want to be gaining energy and gaining momentum, and, and you want to have feel like you have more energy to do more things every day for your career and for your love of your art, not less. Because if, when it comes down to it, this this profession is about the individual ability and will to create um so i you know i yeah that's that's what i tell them i I mean you have to seek out the people who inspire you seek out the people who are encouraging of you and anything that is going to slow you down or detract from you or make you upset and and uh hurt your your love for for to just go right by that you can't pay it too much uh mind you know not worth it Mhm. So, um what if anything, what are some things that you have to do now in your life that you never would have expected that you had to do as a young jazz student? Shoot, I I have no idea. If I have to be honest, uh okay. I haven't been paying any attention. It's I've been so busy that I just it's I go from one day to the other day just preparing and trying to execute at the highest level that I am capable of. Um, in terms of, yeah, I just, I, I learned at a certain point that I, I shouldn't really have a lot of expectations about what my life is or, you know, I, I just, yeah, so I, I haven't had a lot of expectations about that type of stuff um, about, you know, what, what this life would even include. So right now it's just a, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm hopping from day to day trying to be the best version of the musician that I can be. And and I hope at some point that, you know, I kind of get to take a break and, and reassess what it is I want to do. But I think right now I'm, uh, I'm still working on myself. You know, I'm still just, I'm not, I'm not in any way a complete version of an artist or musician. And, um, you know, I just, I don't. I don't think I will be if I if I pick my head up too much. If I pick my head up and try to survey my lifestyle or my accomplishments or 
um, my obligations and things like that, I think that that'll that's like putting that's like that's like uh, pulling a parachute or something. I'm just trying to gain momentum. I'm just trying to be the best version of myself. So I'll I'll take stock a little bit later. Right now, I'm just trying to gain momentum. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, tough, I, though, I tell you, it's tough. That's all. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. So, I guess maybe this—that's the same answer to this question. But I was going to ask uh, if you had to, if you, if you were going to go back and do, you know, your jazz education experience over, would you do anything different? Uh. Yeah. I would try to be a little bit more quiet about my opinions. You know, I was, I was very opinionated. I'm still very opinionated about what I believe, but I think that, you know, when you're a student, uh, you don't have to make your opinions known to, to hardly anybody. You know, I, I think that there, there are benefits because obviously when you, when you challenge others and they challenge you, there's a learning process there. But I also feel like, um, I, I could learn more and I could have uh, accomplished more just listening. I could have just, just listening and being humble about uh, what I think I might know, quote unquote, and, and what really people are trying to communicate to me. You know, I think that we, we think that language is this ob- objective way of uh, measuring the world or something, but you know, it's, especially when you go out of, out of your community, people use language radically differently and they might be trying to communicate something radically differently that sounds one way and is another way and um, I think any student and myself uh, we would be benefited from just trying to be a little bit more patient and a little bit more quiet Um, that's what I wish I had had done but in terms of going places no I I was very happy to have those varied experiences and meet the people that I did and I learned a lot yeah Awesome. Uh, is there anything, anything additional that you didn't get to uh, mention that you would have wanted to about any of this kind of stuff? Um, I don't know. You know, I think that uh, the, the journey of of life is one of uh, trying to balance how to uh, be very um, encouraging of oneself with being hard on themselves, like just trying to love what you do and who you are and, and trying to appreciate where you are in the moment. That means like your shortcomings and your accomplishments and being able to be honest with them without them affecting your uh, stride towards your goals. You know, I, I think what we notice now, what I notice now is that the impediment to my momentum and goals are usually myself and, uh, if I am too hard on myself, I'll slow myself down. If I'm too self-loving of myself, I'll slow myself down. So it's just about trying to gain momentum. It's just about trying to break through to, to, to the next level. And I, I think like a, like an athlete or something, there's, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of, you know, you, uh, to make the I, – I know I keep using this analogy of speed or, or something, but it's just, you want to be aerodynamic. If you want to break through, if you want – you know, there, there are a lot of great players and there are a lot of great artists and there's a lot of, and that's because the method has become so perfected. And I think if you want to set yourself apart from that, you have to start thinking differently and uh, you have to start um, trying to uh, find all the little bits, all the little rough edges around around yourself that are slowing you down. 
and try to sand them, make it real smooth. And I know that analogy is kind of bizarre, but that's that's the way I've been thinking about it lately. Um, so just for for young cats, you know, like don't be too hard on yourself, but don't be too too high on yourself either, and try to try to find people who help give you perspective, who hold up the mirror, and and uh, people that you can trust, you know, and and it'll help you gain momentum so you can break through and become the, the best version of yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's very interesting. Could open into a whole other conversation that maybe we'll do another time. <laughs> Good. Good. Um, but man, thanks, thanks for taking the time to chat a little bit. Yeah, anytime. Man. So that's Lucas Pino and his views, kind of a unique path from the Brubeck Institute to the New School to Juilliard, where we met, and uh, his opinions and kind of unique deep dive into jazz from a young age I think uh, is one path to a successful life in music and uh, but is not the only path but I think it's a good one uh, to hear how different people make it here to New York and make things happen for themselves and uh, before they get to New York and in their studies so hopefully you've enjoyed this conversation make sure you go and find Lucas's new album the answer is no out september 29th if you are listening to this after so go back and find it on spotify or itunes and uh, be sure to head over to the outside in music youtube channel subscribe so you can see all the cool uh, content that's coming out over there and we appreciate you listening to the over here podcast we'll see you here next time <laughs>